Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. The topic tonight is growing younger, and our guest tonight is Dr. Todd Ovokitis. And uh, I'm excited for this conversation because Dr. Todd really brings uh, um, a perspective that I find exceptional and, and rare. On, on this show, I've interviewed so many PhDs and doctors and whatnot, and uh, they've always been powerful conversations. But Dr. Todd has a whole different arena in which his thinking and perspective comes from, and I think it'll prove to be a very timely conversation with the existing coronavirus situation on the planet. But not only that, it'll be a, a deeper look at the notion of really, truly, sincerely growing younger in our physical personas in this lifetime. And and as always, I love on this show finding these people that are doing the exceptional um, understanding um, and and work on the planet and bringing them to light so people can really understand how powerful it is to be a point of presence of source consciousness in a physical body. I've always thought perhaps the most powerful substance on the planet is human consciousness. And the reason I say that is humanity has prayed maybe a million or even billions of prayers, you know, please God save our asses from the suffering, please God end this war, please God end this poverty, please God end this uh, famine or whatever. And 99% of the time, um, the war doesn't stop. There's no, there's no history of a glowing orb coming down at a battle scene and and silencing all the guns. There's no um, stories in our mythology where a glowing orb comes down from the sky and converts the, uh, the slums into palaces. It, it, in the mythology, there's always flesh and bones in the story. There's, there's Moses there, um, um, freeing the slaves from Egypt. There's Jesus, who's who's transforming the the health of a leper colony, or um, even raising the dead. And what I'm getting at here is, even though the the notion of a god or an archangel or any other deity is certainly an extremely powerful persona, it really is a hands-off approach to our human condition. And and if you think of consciousness as a holographic representation of a of 
source consciousness or God, the singularity, if you will, of consciousness, then you and I are that consciousness personified. And we have that physical body. The physical body is a ticket. It's a permission slip, if you will, that affords us the ability to show up in a perhaps a more powerful way than the deities are willing to or allowed to even participate in this holographic storyline, if you will. So when we think of ourselves as a point of presence of source consciousness and we have a physical body, those two are the one-two punch as far as the permission or the or the um, chemistry to, um, that gives us the ability to influence the human condition in a much more direct and powerful way than even the deities and the gods that our mythology has spoken of. We've got so much content tonight that I'm sure um, it <laughs> an hour's probably not going to cover what we could talk about. I want to I want to just get to it. Again, the topic tonight is growing younger. And our guest tonight is Dr. Todd Ovokaitis. And Dr. Todd's uh, accolades are just uh, very pronounced. I'm going to just cover some of the beginnings of it. Dr. Todd was the first in his class in high school and won the Coda Buckley Pioneer Award. He was also at the top of his class at Northwestern University with the highest possible grade point average after two years, was one of 26 people accepted into the accelerated undergraduate and medical training program at John Hopkins University and Medical School. He then completed specialty training in internal medicine and subspeciality training in pulmonary and critical care medicine at Georgetown University Hospital. He was assessed by the faculty committee as the best of all the residents across the board. His accolades continue. I'm, I'm they're available online. I think we should get to the conversation. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Todd to the program. Dr. Todd, it's so nice to have you back on the show. Thank you. Great pleasure being here. It's my honor. Well, now, we talked a little bit beforehand, and it's such a uh, a timely conversation, uh, and what I'm talking about, of course, is the coronavirus. Why don't we start off the conversation with your perspective on what um, really has captured the the um, consciousness of humanity really globally today? What is your perception of the coronavirus? Well, there various levels of interpretation, of course. From the practical standpoint, it is the outplay of annual flu season. And from time to time, the last time it was this magnified was about 100 years ago in the flu epidemic of 1918 and 1919. That truly was 
an aggressive pandemic that affected the whole world, the unique feature of this virus appears to be it's greater than usual virulence. Every year with flu season, there is a small percentage of persons that are compromised for various health reasons that may succumb to the infection. The difference this year is that there appears to be no general immunity because viruses that cause influenza-like conditions tend to mutate, and when they change their surface proteins enough, they are no longer susceptible to the general immunity that's been developed for them. So that's been the case with corona, that there is a, a general susceptibility, and it just seems to be more aggressive, uh, may replicate to relatively higher levels, and the incidence of mortality is significantly greater than the typical flu season. So there is appropriate caution in it. And I've studied the reports of the epidemic, even one day-by-day analysis of what happened in three countries particularly affected, which were China, South Korea, and Italy. And they really made the point that the sooner that a region adopted the practices that we're doing of social distancing, of not having groups gather, of people largely uh, staying at home in isolation, especially if someone had evidence of infection, particularly to stay at home and not um, risk uh, contagion to others, that the sooner that a population did that, the numbers are very clear that it stopped the progression uh, things uh, regressed and followed the usual pattern of, of flu that there tends to be an outbreak and a peak and then and then it falls off. So even in my neighborhood in San Diego where schools are closed, that restaurant dining is prohibited, take out allowed, but people aren't allowed to gather in restaurants and gyms are closed and large meetings have been suspended, that for this time, while the process goes through a cycle, that is very prudent and appropriate. Right. No. Well, I, I, I can make I an think additional comment. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. sure. Um, go no, please go ahead, because I, I have a few pieces of information to offer that aren't generally spoken about yet that I believe could be useful. So, but what what is your your first uh, response? Well, I think you can uh, expand on on what you're talking about. Sure. Well, in 2009, when the swine flu was a great concern, I was actually invited by a government, I won't mention names, but it was a a government, to consult with them on what they might do to mitigate the impact of the epidemic. And at that time, the estimates were that as many as a billion people could be affected. So the numbers were 
a great concern. And so I, I researched the things that were already clinically validated in the literature as strategies that could make a difference in particularly making the virus less aggressive. And what was one of my experience was I got into that discussion, I put together a report and a series of suggestions, and that was done within a week. But by the time I finished that, the concern of the epidemic was already greatly dissipated. That said, I've already been through this cycle, and there are a few recommendations that are not generally known, and it's actually with respect to influenza, not coronavirus, yet there's enough similarity that I think the same general principles could be beneficial. And over and above the recommendations of, of social distancing of six feet and frequent hand washing and uh, the way people have largely been kept at home. Over and above that, what was extremely interesting was that the simple intervention of a supplement known as N-acetylcysteine taken at a level of 600 milligrams twice a day, that one intervention in clinical study showed that the likelihood of symptomatic influenza infection was reduced by 80%. So Very nice. What was the name of yeah. that substance again? Uh, the name is N-acetylcysteine. It's, it's abbreviated NAC, and it's a modified form of an amino acid, which is one of the 20 building blocks of our proteins. And that amino acid is L-cysteine. It's a sulfur amino acid. And NAC has an acetyl group modifying it, which makes it more resistant to being degraded during the digestive process. The importance of cysteine or its delivery form of N-acetylcysteine is that it's a very powerful detoxifier, and its mechanism is substantially being a building block to make a three-amino acid compound or tripeptide, which is called L-glutathione. And glutathione is considered an anti-aging, anti-tumor, antioxidant, and is the traded antioxidant within the cells. And whether it's influenza or other viruses like HIV, there is strong evidence that it reduces the virulence of the virus. And other factors which either produce glutathione or support its activity in pathways, which include, for example, the nutrient selenium, uh, which uh, that's involved in the enzyme called glutathione peroxidase, that for example, in Africa, where they did an overlay of selenium concentration in the soil, which then goes into the food chain, and the prevalence of HIV infection, where selenium was extremely poor, the prevalence rates were relatively high, even on the order of 25% of the adult population, where 
In contrast with high selenium in the soil, the rates were very low, more on the order of one-half to one percent. So another glutathione builder factor, selenium level, was shown to be extremely important in the virulence of the virus. Other glutathione builders would be the liver-supporting herb called silymarin. Uh, it can be taking L-glutathione itself, though there are forms uh, that allow it to be absorbed better, make it more resistant to the digestive process, particularly putting glutathione in a liposomal form. And that, along with zinc, uh, appears to be very beneficial. So if one wants to just boost their immunologic resistance, uh, those factors plus vitamin C, uh, vitamin D, and vitamin K can be extremely beneficial because it's substantially about improving the resistance of the host organism if one is exposed then it's either a short-lived flu-like illness or it can become a serious respiratory illness. And it's, it's all about reducing the likelihood, A, that someone gets the infection, and B, if one does, that it would be uh, as uh, reduced in its action as possible. Right. Well, um I, I very much appreciate your perspective on this uh, coronavirus because it certainly has captured the attention of perhaps the entire planet outside of third world countries that are lucky enough to be disconnected from our media. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> well, let's let's take a step back and and uh, reapproach this topic from. The, from the topic of the show, really, Growing Younger, which is um, the title of a book that you've written um, with the subtitle of How to Quickly Reverse Your Biological Markers for Aging. So growing younger, I mean, that, that has the uh, fountain of youth mythology wrapped around it, um, that's that's been a a quest of humanity for quite a period of time. What new insights do does your book bring to the table about such a time, uh, timeless topic? Mhm. Well, I'll make two major comments for the show. One is that the book is a description of strategies of supporting one's internal metabolism that can drive even the DNA aging clocks of aging backwards. And there are some very potent strategies for doing that 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 I'll be able to review. And then beyond the book, our most profound work at the moment is work that we're actually doing with stem cells. And we've really been pioneering the process of being able to separate, concentrate, and then awaken and activate this very amazing stem cell in the body that is incredibly powerful and for unknown reasons goes into hibernation when we're born. 
So no matter how old someone is, whether someone is 10 or 20 or 50 or 90, these cells retain their newborn characteristics and robustness. And once you awaken them, it's as though you'd saved your umbilical cord blood all your life, and these newborn caliber cells can then go into literally rejuvenate and regenerate the structure and function of any tissue from head to toe. So there's a biochemical side to the equation, and now our work is also on the stem cell side. And combining the two, we have a whole different type of engine where at the metabolic cellular and tissue level, we really have the capability of turning back the physiological and biological clock. Well, stem cells have such a, um, what should I say, a reputation, because um, on the Internet I've noticed uh, recently people have talked about printing a human heart with stem cells, and then um, I, don't, I don't know what the success rate is of, of actually implanting it, but you know, I've also heard of stem cell um, tooth replacement where they, I don't, I don't know the details, but they use uh, stem cells to uh, introduce a tooth where it didn't exist before, and then it starts growing. And um, these seem like, uh, um, I don't want to say immortal, maybe I do, but uh, the notion that you can go from um, a, a lost cause, if you will, and and the vitality or the um, regeneration capability of these stem cells seem to be just in a whole di- different arena than what we traditionally think of the human cell. Well, the wild card is this new type of stem cell that our team is one of the pioneering groups of characterizing them, enumerating them, and then working on the methods to not only awaken them, we're also using electromagnetic resonance and through creating from a laser light source a unique waveform that allows us to send a signal deeply through tissue much deeper than ordinary laser that we've evolved and had the fortuity to learn literally how to sing the song of the stem cells. So not only can we awaken them, we can deliver them back to the body, a perfect match for that person, and sing the song of the stem cells to direct them exactly where they're most needed for that person. Now, in the three-dimensional um, model of our body, if if the the disease or the the area that we want to heal or or regenerate, what you're talking about is is isolating that location and then through um, laser technology, singing a song to the stem cells that already exist in that arena of our body and activating them? Uh, more than that, when we awaken the, the dormant cell, which requires drawing that person's blood, 
And then we have validated a method of separating those cells from the other cells that are in blood, including the red cells. We remove them. And then literally singing the wake-up song, if you want to use the metaphor of vibration emotion as being a type of song. And then once these cells are activated, one of their unique features is that, unlike other types of stem cells that, say, may be derived from fat or from the bone marrow, this particular class of cells is small enough in diameter that when you give them intravenously, they make it through the lung. Uh, the cells we work with are very small. They're two to four microns in size, as opposed to, say, stem cells from fat, which are 12 to 30 microns in size, and the lung capillaries are only about six microns in diameter. So stem cells from fat uh, are almost completely filtered out and stay in the lungs. And it's fine if someone has the need to rejuvenate the lungs. That's useful if some other tissue needs rejuvenation. So they're small enough to get to the lung and go literally throughout the body. And then when we give the signal, it increases the probability that those cells go exactly to the organs and tissues and locations that that person is in most need of regenerating. So the, the song that you sing to activate this process is derived in part from a sample of the patient's blood. Does that determine a, a, a characteristic of the frequency or a sum of frequencies? Well, what is even more useful is that we have defined and demonstrated a particular frequency pattern that stimulates the chemistry of the cell to make more proteins on the surface of the cell that are called cell adhesion molecules. So this particular frequency pattern stimulates in a general way the adhesion characteristics of the cells so as we direct that signal through tissue, those cells are better able to physically connect, literally by protein-protein interactions, literally like the Velcro of the cell. And once the cells literally adhere into a tissue, uh, say a cell in the brain, when it connects to nerve cells, the stem cell then gets two types of communication. One is the chemistry in that area, which then gives the cell the information of what's needed. And secondly, the adhesion mechanism is also a method whereby the cells communicate to each other. It's literally called the mechanism of cell-to-cell -cell communication. So either by the chemistry in the environment around the cell, as well as the cell-to-cell -cell communication, is how one of these newborn caliber stem cells that goes in the brain gets the information that it is needed as a new neuron in that area, or other work we do with uh, cardiac enhancement, a new heart muscle cell, or work with joints, a new cartilage cell. So once we actually 
give the cells the information first to awaken and then to adhere, to stick to a particular area, then the local information gives the cell the instruction to become what the body needs in that area. It's, it's literally so from, a type of cellular reboot. Right. So from birth, these stem cells exist in our bodies, but they're um, perhaps dormant. And then with your activation process, you turn them on or, as you say, reboot them. And then as they traverse through the body, when they come into the environmental programming scenario, of perhaps a, a neur- neuron in the brain or a muscle in the heart, they they meta- uh, metamorphically transform themselves into whatever type of cell is needed in that arena. You stated it very precisely and nicely. Yep. Well. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, articulate this in a way that will help our audience understand this. So are you right. doing this in a research uh, setting, or are you open as a clinic to handle uh, volumes of people? Mm-hmm. We are doing a protocol that is allowed by current regulations uh, in that we are doing autologous treatments, which means it comes from the person's own cells, then you don't have the risk of rejection because it's literally a perfect match from that person. And per the current guidelines, we prepare and deliver the cells back to the body within four hours in the same location, under the same roof, as it were. And the cells are not significantly manipulated by chemistry or expanded. So we follow all of the allowed regulations. So we're permitted to do this. And in a sense, we're doing research. We uh, collect uh, data uh, both as uh, we see new patients. We do histories and physicals and uh, get appropriate studies and then follow up to see what our results are. And that is available now. We have done one significant clinical study, which was done in the nation of Armenia, which was for heart regeneration. And the comparison there was a study that compiled the results of 1,494 cases using stem cells for regenerating heart tissue where the cells were actually given by catheterization straight into the coronary arteries. And the average improvement in function was about 8%. In contrast, we provided the cells intravenously and then used this literal electromagnetic song of the cell passing through tissue to, to increase the life that the cells went to the heart. And instead of an 8% improvement after six months, we had a 14% improvement in just three days, which increased to 25% in one month, 37% in two months, and plateaued at about 50% in three months. So a a 50% improvement versus an 8% improvement with this much less invasive procedure. So that is the formal 
uh, clinical trial work that we've done. The other work, it's more kind of a case-by-case uh, compilation. And this process is available now. Well, you talked about regulatory stipulations. Um, do you see mm-hmm. the regulatory stipulations as limiting your ability to pursue the potential of this um, situation? Well, the distinction is that we're following all the guidelines that allow us to do the procedures. And the limitation is limitation on claims. So we are not allowed unless we undergo the full process with the FDA of doing what level of clinical trials that may be required for a given circumstance until we pursue and complete what the FDA requires we're not allowed to say that it's an actual treatment for any particular condition. So what we're allowed to say is we provide freshly awakened stem cells that have the ability to support the healthy structure and function of tissue. And in our case, we have developed the technology, which is an advance in the field, to be able to increase the likelihood that the stem cells go in the particular area that they're needed. Right. Well, now we're we're talking about stem cells and activating them and having them um, morph into the required or the the beneficial um, type of cell for um, for assisting the body, but what if, uh, just to take a real big step back and look at the human persona in general, um, sometimes our dis-ease that we take on is related to uh, psychological effects. For example, uh, a naive rookie soldier going into battle experienced such a, a shock on the system from the the terror, the horror of of witnessing the the battlefield, even though nothing has cut their body or no chemical has polluted their bloodstream, the the, the shock of the environment traumatizes the the physical vessel. So when you talk about um, the stem cell. Um, modality as far as um, bringing improvement to the human condition, how does um, the the psychological environment of the cell, if you will, because um, when I when I think about this, this human persona, our cells regenerate all the time. We're getting fresh cells all the time, but yet a dis-ease will stay located in our body, and it's like the new cells take on the characteristic of the dis-ease. They're, I always think of an etheric field or intangible field of psychological imprinting from our past that reprograms the birth of these new cells. How does the psychological factor play into the 
the disease and and the flip side of that, the growing younger aspect of our human body? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an excellent question. And our understanding and approach is really very holistic and takes into account what I would call a psychological roadmap or psycho-emotional roadmap of various conditions in the body. And on that score, it's quite extraordinary that for the past 40 years, there have been pioneers in this arena that have looked at different types of health issues in the body or different types of injuries in the body and have created not just the physical anatomy of the body, but I will call it the psycho-emotional conflict landscape of the body, such that based on a particular diagnosis or a challenge of function in a particular location in the body, that there is a map of not just there being a stress or conflict, but the precise conflict that's related to that issue in the body, such that in a way the understanding is that an unresolved conflict in the brain creates the circumstance that the brain is doing its best job to ensure the survival of that person into the next moment and will take either the metaphoric, real, perceived, or imaginary um, experience and convert that into the best metaphoric solution for the challenge. So the point that you're making is that even if you give stem cells, if the person has an unresolved stress or conflict, that that overlay may, unless actually, perpetuate a disturbance in tissue. And from my understanding and the different areas that I've studied, that not only is that the case, but you can map based upon where that area is, what the type of stress is, and then there's a process whereby you can, in various ways, and some just asking the right questions to make the person aware of the conflict and allow them to release the unresolved emotional stress of it by allowing them to see what has been hidden from their view or different types of processes to repattern the experience that the stress and the conflict can be relieved. And as you say, it can be that person's from their lifetime or even conflicts that they take on from their ancestors as part of their mission, like someone who was born on the same birth date as one of their ancestors in this arena, that person's mission literally becomes to resolve the unresolved conflict of the particular ancestor. So if it's someone's grandfather had an unresolved conflict, uh, a child born on the same birthday as that ancestor uh, takes on the conflicts of that person to resolve them as, as the reason they were born. So part of our work uh, is uh, 
to encourage uh, anyone who is coming for rejuvenation or anti-aging purposes, if they have a particular uh, issue, that we have a, a panel of artists in this field that they can work with if they want to actually get to the emotional core and release it, which I believe is, is vital to a complete solution for virtually any issue. Well, my, my father had, uh, well, he went through World War II as a soldier, and in my childhood naivety, I kept asking him to tell me about the war, and he would, he would uh, avoid the question, and just once or twice in his life did he ever share, and he always got extremely somber and, and remorseful and welled up with emotion. And in his life, he had five heart attacks. And uh, um, there was so much heartache in his psyche. And then um, in my lifetime, uh, I've had zero heart attacks and I don't anticipate any. It, it seems like the part of the healing process, as you were saying, was the emotional resolution, if you will. Do you, do you think there'll be a, um, technology designed to um, help facilitate that or even facilitate it without the um, um, cooperation, if you will, of the consciousness of the patient? Uh, I think it's always the most powerful if it is a process of making the unconscious conscious and becoming more aware and the release process being a dynamic, active uh, interaction. So I think there are various ways. Some people may, may get to it just spontaneously through what they magnetize to themselves in their life experience. At other times, it's facilitated and accelerated by working with someone who understands that landscape. And one of the, the activities that we've done, in addition to the biochemistry of growing younger and the clinical studies that validate it, which is in the Growing Younger book, that we may, we may get to at the end of this discussion where we started, uh, that's part of it. Uh, one of our other activities related beyond the stem cells is bringing the leading pioneers in this art of integrative psychobiology to teach this landscape and the processes of accelerating the release of these stresses and the, the, the relief of, of stress and the improvement in, in health and well-being that can come from it. If there's interest in that, there's a, a website that goes through the different flavors of that art, which is called mindbodylogic.com. And right. there's information about uh, different, different pioneers in the area, the types of information they teach. And in that arena, this October, we have this amazing 10-day sequence, like the, the 10 days of 10-2020. Of and on the first to fifth 
there will actually be that the three amigos, the best-selling authors, uh, Greg Braden, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and Dr. Bruce Lipton doing a program on consciousness. Then on the 6th and 7th, we have the leading pioneers in this area of biological decoding, of literally getting through the core conflict that upon its release can really create great release of stress and improvement in, in one's health, well-being, and literally making more of the brain available just to be like smarter and more aware. And uh, those leading pioneers will be giving introductions and experiential processes on October 6th and 7th. And then on October 8th and 9th, uh, there is the preparation for the grand finale, which is on 10-10-2020, which is our Aloha Choir, which is all about using tones and tonal patterns in a way that creates a profound enhancement of consciousness and awareness. Wow. So... That sounds very powerful. <laughs> we, we are working on that to be the case, yes. Well, the, that is our goal. Um, before the show came on, you were mentioning uh, uh, Dr. David Hawkins, and if the listeners aren't familiar with that, he mapped the the scale of human consciousness if you will, on a scale from zero to a thousand on a logarithmic scale. And and perhaps just in a quick general sense, at a thousand you're you're Jesus or Buddha or Krishna and at zero you're you're loaded with PTSD and if you get a cold tonight you'll die. In in a general sense. So when when humans have the intention of using their consciousness as a vehicle of healing through modalities or, or uh, perhaps Reiki, how does how do you see the the calibrated level of the practitioner, if you will? What role does that play in the effectiveness of the Reiki? Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent question, and it's really important to emphasize the potency of what Dr. David Hawkins was asserting, which is that the scale of, say, one to a thousand, because zero probably is like not being alive anymore, <laughs> of, right. But one, one just very alive in a very, very low state of being, that each one point difference wasn't um, a little step. It was 10 times greater. So the difference between going from 200 to 220 wasn't like a 20% increase. It was 10 to the 20th power, which right. is a very big number. Um, that would be uh, basically uh, 10,000 billion billion times. So the, as it were, consciousness power of the practitioner on that scale of consciousness, the higher that calibrated scale, 
the more powerful the healing will be literally just being in the room with the person if it's above a certain level. And any intervention is going to be amplified to the degree that the consciousness scale is calibrated at a higher level. And if one were to ask, well, what's the most important thing a person can do to create a better world? Uh, the most powerful thing anyone can do is to raise their own calibrated scale of consciousness because it has an effect for that person. And every, every one point step any person makes literally is raising the consciousness of the entire planetary civilization consciousness scale. So I, I think it's, it's profoundly important and that the, the higher the calibration of the practitioner, the higher the potency of whatever they do energetically in a healing modality. Right. Well, um, I, I totally agree with that. The, uh, the direction all of this is heading, I mean, you, the work that you do is uh, so profound and so um, powerful in its potential. Where do you see all of this going? And I ask that question in a general sense so you can fill in the blanks as you so choose. Where is, where is this um, technology going? The greater vision is that I am collaborating with a handful of pioneers that I view as having, through their own personal evolution and inspiration, created the most powerful healing modalities that exist. And... There's even a university, and I'm, I'm not allowed to mention names yet until the program goes further, that is so excited about this idea of literally bringing the best of the best of everything together. And there's some amazing technologies, and I include ours in the mix of what really is incredibly powerful. And that said, what we're doing is going to be that much more powerful when we combine it with the brilliant technologies, inventions, and protocols of other pioneers that literally is taking the best of everything, putting it into an environment where, with a university umbrella, we can test protocols for you know, various situations to create best results and have an opportunity to create a new standard. So, so part of the vision is without spending 20 or 30 or 40 years to create an improved uh, technology of health, we can take the best of everything that exists, conventional medicine included, and put it into one integrated fabric so that uh, general health can be much greater, uh, the capacity to reverse conditions, even those that have little or no solution right now, and the ability to these technologies to enhance not just the human lifespan, but the vitality, wellness, and potency, including improving brain function, brain chemistry, and consciousness, so we can have a much healthier, much longer-lived population. And with that greater health, uh, longevity, and state of being, 
we can focus on the general area of consciousness itself and what I would call the evolution of the human potential. Like, What is our capacity and what can we do and be and become and create as, as our focus as opposed to going beyond mere survival? Right. Well, if you need anybody to design electronic circuits that don't exist yet, um, I've been doing that for a while. <laughs> well, well, that's the, great uh, stuff. We should talk well, more about that. I'm fascinated. It my my life path is really curious because at in my early twenties, my soul has me standing in front of these big ass, very high power television transmitters. And then at 35, the cosmic two-by-four cracked me open. And I find it very, very curious that transmitters work on a logarithmic scale of power, and then I get cracked open, and consciousness works on a logarithmic scale of power. I think my soul did that intentionally. So I could have a language to put in a Western dialogue the, the power of unconditional love. I, I just find it curious because you, sir, are are over the top with the, from my perspective, the openness your consciousness has. When you set the intention of, of understanding something at such a root level, and then and then being an empty vessel to let the the paradoxically transformative ideas come in you're you're flipping the card over on its side in the first step you take and that was you know 20 miles ago you've been walking this path and and the work that you're doing is very profound um we're almost out of time, and I want to make sure the audience knows how to connect. You've shared uh, some of your websites and whatnot, and if you, and you, I think you mentioned you have an offer for the listening audience. Can you share with us your platform and how the audience uh, can engage it? Uh, absolutely. So if one would like a free copy of the digital book, Growing Younger, and it describes an animal study uh, that doubled and tripled the animal's lifespans and how we've taken that and created a, a method of delivering those nutrients and a clinical study that shows uh, you can be 8 to 12 years younger biologically in just 60 days. Uh, <laughs> at some point, we might have a, a show and talk about those details, but the the details are all in a free book called Growing Younger. And you can simply go to drtado.com. My name, D-R-T-O-D-D-O dot C-O-M forward slash book. And I'll take you to a page where you can do a free download of the book Growing Younger, How to Quickly Reverse Your Biological Markers of Aging, which has a clinical trials on a series of the laser-enhanced, more accurately photoacoustic resonance-enhanced formulas, and the clinical validation in controlled clinical studies of the anti-aging effects that they're having. So that gives the biochemical standpoint 
And when we do stem cells, we always combine it with giving the cells and the body the nutrients it needs to regenerate new tissue at a younger, more youthful level. So, and then for our company that does and has developed nutritional formulas and valued them for 20 years, that is gematria.com, G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A.com. And of course, you probably recognize the term gematria as from the ancient mystery schools and the process of converting the letters and words into numbers and then decoding with the information in the pattern of the numbers. So um, that has to do with literally converting information from light vibrations to sound vibrations to communicating with molecular vibrations. So it's translating information from one form to another. Literally about transmitting and receiving, it gets back to your experience of the uh, TV transmitters. It's all connected. Right. Well, it's uh, it's a real curious time to be alive. Um, it, it, to think of even having this conversation 200 years ago is inconceivable, and and now <laughs> it's it, it's kind of a off the cuff kind of thing. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? The main closing thought in this moment is that somehow I believe that this coronavirus pandemic has a greater purpose, perhaps more than any event in recent history. It is aligning the totality of human awareness along a singular point and pathway, a type of immense global cooperation to assist each other to minimize uh, the impact of this issue and work in a way that, in a sense, assist each other to be as healthy and as safe as we can. And in that sense, I've got a feeling that there could be, as it were, a silver lining and, and greater benefit to the whole from being put in this cooperative space and spirit. Well, very nice. Well, Dr. Todd, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show. It's always, always, always a pleasure to noodle the nature of nature with you. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. Uh, thank you. It's been a great pleasure and honor as always. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Todd Ovokaitis, and the topic tonight has been Growing Younger. Growing Younger is um, the, the name of a book that he has written. He mentioned uh, that uh, there's a copy available online. Um, I, I really like what was said about the the notion of the most powerful thing you can do is is raise the raise your own consciousness, and um, so often when we look outside of us and the media shows us chaos and fear and our bodies might re- react with stress and anxiety, it's uh, it's always a, a powerful thing to. Consider your own consciousness as this eternal stream of of potential, 
it it's a very curious thing our our ego runs on the power of our consciousness our ego doesn't have any consciousness of its own but it's it's a lens if you will that we project um this evolved persona uh personality if you will and when you when you when you calm down the ego when you calm down the mind and you you learn how to open up your persona to be able to receive information that is outside of the current current paradigm you're living in other words if you've had a pattern of fear and anxiousness when you receive information that might threaten the idea of of, of your life breaking that pattern breaking the uh the repetitive cycle of angst and worry and fear is a very powerful thing to do what we're observing in society now i think it it draws a very clear picture about how um how people react to the very same news can be um quite remarkably different and as a consequence that different reaction by changing the reaction you're literally out of thin air creating a new result and so to to take your own consciousness and and setting an intention of of purifying it and aligning it with a deeper truth that is always found within the core of your being you become the vehicle of change for the collective consciousness of the humanity you become the vehicle of change which amplifies your effect and influence on the collective consciousness by working on your own personal energy persona you have a very powerful opportunity as source consciousness in flesh and bones you have a body so you have a ticket that gives you a ticket that gives you a permission slip to be the vehicle of change that people are praying for people have prayed for the end of suffering for eons of time and now we're literally at a a pivot point in our human paradigm where that might actually become a much more palatable reality. I wrote a book called Personal Power Fundamentals and it talks about how we ingest karma which attenuates our power and more importantly how to release that that karmic imprinting which which reactivates or um opens up the inherent power that all of us are it's uh it's a curious time to be alive you chose as a listener you chose to show up for yourself by sh- uh, sharing the show with us it's my passion it's my pleasure to bring you interviews that that show you new perspectives new modalities if you will that can help you awaken the power in you i'm your host les jensen always a pleasure Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.